John chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come back again to John chapter 1, this text that um, is intentionally beautiful, mysterious, and difficult, we pray uh, by the power of your Spirit that you would help us not only to understand your word, but to know what it means for us in our lives today and in the days ahead. We need your help, and we pray for your guidance in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every year uh, when I was a child, my family watched the classic Dr. Seuss cartoon, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Maybe you did too. You may, may have already watched it this year. That story is a story of unbelievable hope. To children, it seems believable, but for adults, the story is actually very unbelievable. Because who is this Grinch? The Grinch is a sullen, selfish, despicable monster who, in a moment of clarity, has this radical change of life. It is not a believable story that the Grinch's heart grew three times that day. I mean, to a child, it seems believable that that could happen. But to an adult, I mean, we smile and we play along while we're watching the movie, but we've, we've known enough people, we've lived enough life to know that people just don't change that way. You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. People are who they are. I am who I am. You are who you are. Of this, we have convinced ourselves. I mean, what about yourself? Would you like to see change? <laughs> but I mean, at this point, it's just not realistic. Maybe it's a spiritual issue, some sin, some struggle, or some doubt that you've been stuck with your whole life. Maybe it's a physical health issue. Maybe it's part of your emotional health or mental health that you've been plagued with for as long as you can remember. What in yourself would you like to see change, but you know, it's just not realistic that you would change. Well, in our text today, we hear an astonishing claim that the Word, this second person of the Trinity who existed with God in the time before time, that the Word has actually made it possible for you to change. In fact, John goes so far as to say you could be totally reborn, 
remade, totally recreated. The Word intends to recreate you, to take the mess that is you and me and to change it, to fix it, to start all over, to make a whole new you of yourself. The Word intends to recreate you. But we have a hard time believing that could really happen. Why? Here are three reasons we don't think that we could change. Uh, If you have your worship guide, turn a couple pages from the back, and there will be some space for you to take notes. And there are some blanks if you like to fill in blanks and do that sort of thing. Um, But here are the first three blanks. Here are three reasons we don't think that we could change. First, we think the, the darkness within us is too great. That's the first reason. Too great. Too big. Right. Second... We don't think we could change because we ourselves are too weak. The third reason we don't think we could change is that any examples of goodness that we know are beyond us. Those are the three reasons. If you were to get past all the emotional stuff, you were to get down to the philosophical core, why don't we think we could change? We think the darkness in us is too great or that we ourselves are too weak or any examples of goodness that we have seen before. It's just too far beyond us. John says that the Word intends to recreate you, but we don't believe it because of three, these three reasons. And today, we're going to look at each of these objections to John's teaching, and we're going to ask, how do you deal with each of these? For many of us, this first objection is the one that gets us. We think that the darkness in us is too great. It's too big. It's too permanent. I can't get rid of this thing in me. Well, John responds to that objection with this truth. Here's your next blank. The light of the Word is greater than any darkness in your life. What is the dark thing in your life that you think is too big? It's so unavoidable. It is so ingrained in who you are that there is no way it could be extracted from you. Maybe it's some sin that you've managed to hide from everybody else. You've kind of kept it there in secret. You've enjoyed it. Maybe you've even cultivated it in secret. Maybe it's something else. It's a a habit, a tendency, or a way of thinking that you just can't seem to shake. Maybe it's just downright greed or covetousness or pride or some unsatisfied longing. But maybe it's not spiritual at all. Maybe it's something that seems even bigger. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's sickness. Chronic pain, the fear of death, anxiety, or worry. This foreign thing in you that you didn't ask for, that seemed to just enter your life, that you think will never go away. It can never get better. I don't want to make light of these dark foreign agents that we each have, with which we all struggle. These are big things, and often we have no control over them. However, if the Word, if Jesus has the capacity to create you from nothing, then surely He can change you. That's your next blank. If the Word has the capacity to create from nothing, then surely He can change you. I mean, that logically follows, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Let's look at John, and let's read verses 1 through 4. And then we'll jump down to verse 9. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John describes the word, the second person of the Trinity, as a light coming into a dark world. When you carry... Uh, we guess we don't carry lanterns, do we? Let's say you are. Let's say you have a lantern. And you walk into a dark room. What happens to the darkness? Thank you, Harvey. It goes away. That's been your physics lesson for the day. Light introduced to darkness makes darkness go away. When Jesus enters into the world, what does he do? He shines. And what is the light with which he shines? Verse 4 tells us. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So how does Jesus illuminate us in the world? How does he shine his light into our darkness? It says that his life was the light. What what does that mean? This is a hard text, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The light of the word is his life. That is his creating power. He had the capacity in himself to give life to others. So the same power that creates is the same power that is able to overcome darkness. The same power that created you can also change you. It can also recreate you. The Word, Jesus, who made you, intends to remake you by overcoming your darkness. That dark thing in your life, that thing that you hate, the thing you wish was gone, it is not too big for Jesus. It is not more powerful than Jesus. He made you from nothing because he has the power of life in himself. But what would that look like if the darkness was gone? What would a recreated life look like? How would you be different? Well, to go with our metaphor here, it looks like walking and living in the light. Now, parents uh, of children, when was the last time you tried to walk around your house when it was dark? Uh, we, We... spend at least 20 minutes each night after the children are put in bed, like trying to put away obstacles so that we don't die in the middle of the night. When you try to walk in darkness, you stub your toe, you trip, you fall. It's not a dangerous, it's not a safe way of walking around the house. Sometimes it's fine. Sometimes you almost break your neck. Walking in darkness is bad for you. However, walking in light is much better. Here's your next blank. To live in the light of the word means to live a different kind of life. And the difference is between lethal living and life-giving living. To live in the light of the word, to live a recreated life, is to live a life-giving life. One for which you were created, but to live in darkness could very well and will eventually kill you. That's the option we're talking about here. One way of life is good for you. One way of life is bad for you. One way of life is good for the world. And one way of life is bad for the world. Listen to what Jesus himself, the light of the world, listen to what Jesus said when he described the kind of life into which he is inviting you, the life that he intends for you. He said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Another time he said, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Another time he said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus, the word, came into this world to transform your life so that you would live the life you were made for. That's your next blank. Jesus, the word, came into the world to transform your life so that you would live the life you were made for. And you can have that life. He can accomplish that because he made you the first time. He designed you. Jesus knows why you exist because he is your genesis. He can be the source of your regenesis. And what Jesus wants to happen in your life is truly a rebirth, a resurrection, a fundamental change of who you are. Our darkness seems permanent because we're born with it. And it hurts us. Often we hate it. It hurts the people around us. We are fundamentally broken people. I mean, Paul said that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. Here's your next blank. We ourselves are bound by our darkness because we are dead and because we are not light. But he who is light and life can free us. Yeah, you feel stuck. You feel trapped by whatever this dark thing is in your life. But he who is light and life, he can free you. So how? How can you be set free from the darkness in your life? Here's your next blank. To be set free, you must believe in the Word's capacity to save and to change you. You've got to believe both these things. The saving part, it seems like everybody's okay with that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. God forgives us of our sins. That seems to be pretty easy to believe. Okay, yeah, when we die, we go to heaven. That seems pretty easy to believe. People don't have a hard time with that. But what we don't believe so readily is that Jesus can change us. We don't believe that our hearts could grow three sizes in one day, let alone that our whole self could be reborn and recreated. Look at verses 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So before the word enters the scene, before Jesus is born, God sends a witness named John. Now it's kind of confusing. This is not the same John that wrote the book. The the John who wrote the book is one of Jesus' disciples, one of his close friends. But this other guy in verse 6 is a different John, John the Baptist. Why did God send John the Baptist ahead of Jesus? Verse 7 says it plainly. He came to bear witness about the light that all might what? Believe. Before you will see a change in your life, you have to believe that Jesus can do it. Do you believe that Jesus can change you? He intends to fill you with his light and life. He intends to recreate you from the bottom up. Can you believe that? Or is he only able to save you, not to change you? Well, how much change exactly are we talking about? And how will this change come to be? Here's your next blank. While the process of change is incremental, in eternity it will be complete 
and permanent. It's incremental now. It's a process now, this process of growth. However, one day, our rebirth, our recreation will be complete and permanent. Jesus intends to bring about growth in your life right now. And while, yeah, you're not going to reach perfection in this life, you will in eternity. Let me give you a very real example. Depression may always be a part of your life. But that doesn't mean that Jesus won't bring about change and growth in that area, that you won't experience significant healing in that area. He could take it away in this life, but he may not. But we can expect change and growth. But one day, when you're with Jesus, you will be totally set free from your depression. Another example, you may frequently be tempted to sin in a certain way. But if you're in Christ, you don't have to sin anymore. You can expect growth in that specific area of your life. And one day when you're with Jesus, you will sin no more and you will be tempted no more. Whatever your darkness is now, listen, it's not permanent anymore. It's not permanent if you believe in Jesus. It is not permanent now, nor will it ever be. The Grinch had a massive change in a moment of clarity and realization. So too, if you will believe that Jesus can change you, you may be surprised at the result. It may be sudden. Your heart may grow three times today. Or it may be subtle. The important thought is this. Change in your life is always possible for one who trusts Jesus to do it. That's your next blank. Change is always possible for one who trusts Jesus to do it. Jesus didn't only come as your Savior, washing away sin's consequences and preparing you for heaven. No, he came to change you, to free you, to give you a new lease on life, to make a whole new you. Do you believe he could do that in your life? When John concludes his gospel, the one we're starting here in chapter 1, he says about his book, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. If you want to have a new life, if you want to live in the light, if you want to live as you were designed to live, you must believe that Jesus can do it. But then, here's your next blank. If you believe that the Word can save and change you, receive Him as your own. Let's read verses 9 through 12. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, we've all heard this talk before about receiving Jesus. You know, you've heard preachers on TV like Billy Graham or something like that say, receive Jesus as your Lord, accept Jesus into your life. You know, Christians use this kind of biblical language, but we use it out of context and we repeat it so much that it kind of loses its meaning. What does it actually mean to receive Jesus? Here's your next blank. To receive Jesus means to invite him into your life and your home as your brother, transformer, and king. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever invited Jesus to be your older brother? If we're in God's family through him, that makes him our older brother. And when we invite him to be our older brother, what are we doing? We're inviting him to be the one that we look at with admiration. The one whom we seek to emulate as a younger sibling does to the oldest sibling. Have you ever asked Jesus to be that for you and for your household? Is he the one most highly admired in your life and in your home? Have you also invited Jesus to be the one who transforms you and your home? Do you actively ask Jesus to change the things with which you struggle? Indeed, to bring to life the dead things within you. Have you invited him to bring restoration and peace in the place where you live with your family and friends? And have you also submitted yourself to him as your king? Or are you living as one saved by Jesus but not ruled by Jesus? He was not called Jesus Savior. He was called Jesus Christ. Christ, which means anointed one or king. He came to save you, to change you, and then to be ruler of your life. So have you submitted to his kingship, inviting him to take charge of your life? Have you ever invited him to do those things and be those things for you and your family? That's what it means to receive him. And when we do so, we do so hopefully because, here's your next blank, receiving Jesus is an act of hope. Inviting him into these roles demonstrates new expectations for ourselves and our homes. So have you invited him into your life as your brother, transformer, and king? Have you received him? When Jesus, the word, first came to earth, he was not received. No, he was rejected by those he created. He was even rejected by his own people, the earthly family into which he was born. But will you receive him? That's the question this text poses to us today. Will you receive him? The word intends to recreate you. And if you look at your life and say, no, the the darkness in me is too big. I, I cannot change. If you believe that, that is a failure to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. But if you believe that he did create you and that he can recreate you, invite him today to be your brother, transformer, and king. The Word intends to recreate you. But maybe that first objection doesn't ring true in your life. The problem is not that you have some darkness in you that's too great. No, your objection is that you're too weak, that you are too broken. You're not overwhelmed with darkness. You just don't see how you could do or be much more than you are right now. You feel weak. You feel tired. You feel worn out. How does John respond to that reaction? Here's your next blank. The authority of the Word is greater than any weakness that you have. Look at verse 12 again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does this word right mean? What's interesting about this word right is it could be translated a little more colorfully. Um, as authoritative power. It has both authority and power kind of wrapped up in the original language. So those who believe in Jesus have been granted two things, authority and power to become children of God. Let's think about this dual notion of authority and power. From a biblical perspective, who has the highest authority? God? Somebody said God, thank you. Yeah, all right. From a biblical perspective, who has ultimate power? God. Man, y'all, 
There wasn't a, was there a football game last night? Did everybody stay? No, I didn't think there was. Authority and power belong to God. Here's your next blank. <laughs> Authority and power are retained by God, but are given to whom he chooses. God created all things. Therefore, he has authority and power. But like any ruler, he can grant authority and power to others. So do you feel weak? Do you feel helpless? Do you simply feel like you couldn't be any different or make any difference in the world? Do you feel like there's some brokenness in you that's too great? Listen, every single human being at some level feels crippled, dis, uh, disadvantaged, incapable, inadequate, and stuck. If you don't see that in them, that's because they're hiding it. We all feel this way. But the gospel teaches a different principle. If you believe in Jesus and receive him, he gives you the authority and power to be someone different. That's your next blank. If you believe in Christ and receive him, he gives you the authority and power to be someone different. Look at verse 12 again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority, and power to become children of God. As God has authority and power in himself, so those who believe in Jesus receive authority and power to become children of God. Let me explain the process step by step. Here's your next blank. So in Jesus' death, the power of sin, death, and darkness was broken. We just talked about that a second ago. That's your next blank. The power of sin, death, and darkness was broken when Jesus died. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sins upon himself. And when he did so, he set you free. That foreign agent, that darkness that was within you, has lost its power over you. The obstacle to change in your life is removed. You're free. But Jesus didn't stop there. Here's your next blank. In Jesus' resurrection, he received an authority that was then given to you. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples right before he went, went to heaven in Matthew 28? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority is mine. Therefore, go and make disciples. It is because Jesus has authority that you have authority. He says, I have authority. Therefore, go and be different. Make disciples in the world. Be my representative in the world. Be the body of Christ. Be in my place. Verse 12 in our text puts it a different way. It says we receive authority and power to become children of God, which means to be like Jesus. You have the authority and power to live, to love, and to be like Jesus. Here's your next blank. Through Jesus, we have received the ability not only to believe him, but also to live like him. Now, I've told you before, this is a fundamental struggle that I've had through most of my Christian life. I've always thought that I'm not good enough, strong enough, focused enough, disciplined enough to be any different. To live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. But the gospel sets us free and empowers us to live in the light. You can be different. Your life can change. You are not the weakling that you think you are. Jesus has changed you. You can live and love and be like Jesus in the world. 
Through faith and receiving Jesus, you have been reborn, and the choice is now yours. You have a new authority and a new power. You have the freedom to be like Jesus. The Word intends to recreate you. This is why Jesus came on the first Christmas. He was born to change you individually. He had that intention in his mind. So if you look at your life and you say, no, I'm too weak. I can't be like Jesus. I can't be any different. That demonstrates a failure to recognize what Jesus has really done. What's stronger, your weakness or the power and authority of the resurrected Christ? My friend, believe that your life can be different because the word Jesus intends to recreate you. But maybe those first two objections don't ring true in your life. The problem is not that your darkness is too great or that your weakness is too great. You just don't know what a whole new you would really look like. When you think of any examples of goodness or light that you know, it just seems too unattainable, right? So you think about the life of Jesus. I mean, that standard seems completely unattainable for you and me, right? But let's, let's dial it back a little bit. Let's not think about Jesus. Let's think about some other folks that have walked the earth that weren't God in the flesh, like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, these people that, that we love to admire. We look at them and we say, there's no way that I could be like these people. There's no way that I could be that good, that impactful. Well, how does John respond to that? Here's your next blank. When God recreates you, he intentionally puts you in a place where you can thrive. When God recreates you, he intentionally puts you in a place where you can thrive. So when you believe and receive Jesus, it's not a coincidence. No, the light has chosen to move into your darkness that you might believe and receive him. God is the author of life and the first mover in this transaction. It's not an accident when you believe and receive Jesus. Here's your next blank. When the Word recreates you, it's not by accident, but by His clear, willful intention. Let's read verse, uh, let's see, 13? We'll read 12 and 13. It says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's talking about a different way of being born here. You know, when a, when a child is conceived and born, there's a lot that, that's outside of their parents' control. You know, some children are conceived and it surprises the parents. Some children are prayed and longed for but come after much waiting. Some are unable to have children at all. God does not have these difficulties. That's not the kind of birth he's talking about here. He's talking about us being born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has no questions about what's going to happen in our life. God makes life, not us, and he does it very intentionally. When God created Adam and Eve, he put them in a specific place at a specific time with a specific purpose. Likewise, when God comes into your life, takes away your darkness, gives you the capacity to be different, he puts you in a specific place at a specific time with a specific purpose. Where you are right now is not a mistake. The people who are in your life right now, it's not a mistake. God has put you where you are for a purpose. God, listen, 
God didn't recreate you so that you would be Jesus. God didn't recreate you so that you would be Billy Graham. God didn't recreate you so that you would be Mother Teresa. God recreated you so that you could be only who you could be. He has a special purpose for your life right now. And here it is, your next blank. A reborn or recreated life is a life of freedom from sin to serve the people around you. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said this, You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what was so amazing about the life of Jesus? He loved the people to whom he was sent, even at the price of the cross. You know what's so amazing about the lives of Billy Graham and Mother Teresa? They loved the people to whom they were sent, even at remarkable cost. So here's the question that you and I must answer. How can we sacrificially love the people around us? That is the recreated, new creation life that God has chosen for you. That's your next blank. How can you sacrificially love the people around you? That is the recreated, new creation life that God has chosen for you. You can only be the person whom God has made you to be. And, how, and now that he has recreated you, the question is, who has he put around you? Who are the people whom you see on a daily basis, the people in your home, in your workplace, and everywhere you go? And then how can you love those people sacrificially? Here's your last blank. You are called to be a child of God, one loved by God, and one who loves like God. So if you look at your life and you say, I can't be like all these examples of light and goodness that I've seen. Listen, you're not called to be Jesus. You're not called to be these people whom you admire. You're called to be whom God has made you to be. So who has he put you around to love sacrificially? How has God positioned you to love as he loves? That's what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to serve and love those people. That's the life to which he has called you. The word intends to recreate you. So instead of imposing other people's lives onto your your own, begin to dream about how God has positioned you to love the people around you sacrificially. That's who he's recreated you to be. The word intends to recreate you. Do you believe that? Not only do you believe that your life could be different, but that Jesus intends to totally change you. The darkness in you is not too great. In fact, Jesus, the one with the power of light and life, has already defeated your darkness and set you free in the cross. Your weakness is not too great because he's given you the authority and power to be a child of God. And the task before you is not too great. God has put you where you are with great intention. He has called you to love those around you sacrificially. So the only question then is, can you believe it? Will you receive Jesus as your brother, transformer, and king? And will you then live the life into which he has called you? The word intends to recreate you. So let me challenge you to believe in Jesus, to receive the word made flesh as your own, that you might experience the life for which he has created and recreated you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for these here, my friends, 
my family, and I pray even for myself, that you would help us to believe this good news. That Jesus, you are strong enough, that your cross and resurrection are powerful enough, not only to save us, but to change us. Help us to believe that our darkness is not too great for you, that our weakness is not too great for you, and that the task before us is not too great either. That you have positioned us in a place to love as you have loved. So, Father, help us to trust and then give us eyes to see the people around us. Show us how to love them as you have loved us, not only that we may change, but that the whole world may be changed. We thank you, Jesus, for coming on first Christmas, and we pray that this intention that you would recreate us would come to bear in our lives, even today. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.